Amen. Thank you so much. Lord, please help us now and bless our time together. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten us, open our eyes, and help us to see what you have here. Thank you for this great book of Revelation that you gave to the Apostle John. And I pray that you would help us to see some things tonight. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let me review for you the key verse of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse number 19. And that gives us an, or a, a, a general outline of the book or a simple outline of the book. God told John, write the things which thou hast seen. That's found in chapter 1. Then he said, write the things which shall be hereafter. That's, I'm sorry, the things which are. That's chapters 2 and 3 because John was in the church age. And John, uh, Revelation 2 and 3 gives us the church age. And then the things which shall be hereafter is chapters 4 through 22. All right, chapters... Four and five give us the rapture and the first scenes in heaven. Last night, I, we, we pulled into, uh, Zach and I had to go get a, a van last night. Uh, the bus wasn't quite ready, and so we drove up to Newburgh. I came this close, Brother Corky, to just stop and buy. Uh, I went to that mobile station right around from your house, and I said, would I want somebody just stopping by at 7 o'clock on Saturday night? I said, no, I won't. So uh, anyway, but, um, but we pulled up in front of uh, Stewart Airport, and there was a Mercedes SUV there, and the license plate said REV space 4 space 11, Revelation 4. I assume it's Revelation 4, 11. And, uh, but I'm not in the habit of knocking on the windows of, of Mercedes SUV, so I, I, I chickened out there. But I'm, oh, how could it be anything else but Revelation 4.11? Anyway, the rapture and the first scenes in heaven, chapters 4 and 5. Chapters 6 through 11, the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. And then it takes a pause in there in chapters 12, 13, and 14, the big-picture conflict of the ages. It, it, it is an overview of the conflict between Satan, uh, well, let's say it the right way, between God and Satan. You know, let me, let me throw in a thought here. God is not a God of conflict. The only reason there is a conflict of the ages is because Satan caused a conflict. Let me just tell you one of the great tricks of Satan is to create a conflict to force you to respond and then to blame you of being the one that causes conflicts. He did it to God. I, I had today, I was coming to church tonight and uh, there's, there's a number of guys in our, in the Putt Lake neighborhood that uh, ride quads on the street. Well, it doesn't affect me. It annoys me a little bit, but it doesn't affect me. Until tonight, I'm coming up a road where the speed limit is 30. And this guy on his quad, which is not licensed to be on the road, comes flying up behind me, tailgating. And I'm saying, okay, now you don't want me to, uh, you know, call the police or anything. But here you're going to be all stupid like this. So then he, well, I shouldn't go too far in this. But, but uh, um, he started to pass me. <laughs> well, I'm driving a 12-passenger or 15-passenger van. So I didn't let him pass me. So then he starts zigzagging behind me, and I started just slowly moving the van back. If you're not getting past me, you know, you say, well, that's, that, that's mean. Oh, wait, 
wait a second, who made it like that? And if you're going to come on the streets and you're going to drive illegally, you're going to face some resistance. I'm not just going to sit back and, and watch you be a moron and put everybody at risk. And uh, so, but that's exactly what Satan does. He comes to where there's peace. He introduces conflict. And when you stand up against him, then he says, oh, look at you, look at you. You got to be very careful not to let Satan or people he influences, people drag you into their ways. But that's exactly, you know, the very fact that people look and say, how can a loving God, how can a God do this and this? God is working in response to Satan's wickedness. But here he, he introduces conflict, and then he turns around and gets everybody saying, do you see what kind of God he is? He's very slick. Don't be sucked in by that, and don't participate in that. God's a God of peace, but he's also a God who says, oh, oh, no, 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 you're not bringing your filth in here. You're not bringing your garbage in here. Not without a fight, bro, and I don't lose, God says. So, so anyway, the conflict of the ages between God and Satan because Satan chose to rebel against God and tried to, Satan wanted to be the competition. Hey, you got a monopoly on running the universe. I can run the universe too. No, you can't. Zap, you're out of here. I mean, Satan didn't even get the thought, the words out of his mouth, and he was out of there. And uh, there's been a conflict ever since. And Satan's so stupid that he just doesn't even realize that all the wickedness that he does, he plays right into God's hands. God's using his wickedness to bring him glory and to ultimately condemn Satan. But chapters 12, 13, and 14, the big picture conflict of the ages. There's, there's 50 thoughts flooding into my head from the Bible, and I want to pursue all of them uh, on this subject. But let's just leave it there. Um, verses 15 through 18 is where we're going to look tonight. And that is the end of the seven-year tribulation. So let's look at that. And uh, in your book, now let me remind you, as you turn in your book to page 11, if you have your book, and if you don't, just the sheet in front of you, let me remind you that there are four sets of seven judgments. And the four sets of seven judgments take up the majority of the book of Revelation. They are four seals, I'm sorry, seven seals, in uh, chapters 6 and 7, seven trumpets in chapters 8, 9, and 11, seven thunders that are mentioned but not given in detail in chapter 10, and then the last seven is where we begin tonight, the seven vials, that's V-I-A-L-L, not V-I-L-E, uh, V-I-L-E meaning, oh, that's vile, that's, that's disgusting. No, this is V-I-A-L which is as a laboratory vial, a scientific vial. And so these are the seven vials. All righty, in your book it says, Revelation 15 through 18, the end of the seven-year tribulation. Chapters 12 through 14 gave us the big picture of the conflict of the ages. Chapters 15 through 20 give us the details of how this conflict that is as old as the human race comes to an end. All right, so let's read uh, chapter number 15, verse number 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels 
having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. So in your, in your book or on your outline, chapter 15, verse 1, first of all, the seven vials, we've said that already, verse 1, these final seven judgments complete the wrath of God against man's wickedness. All right, let's read verses 2 through 4. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. By the way, do you know what the song of Moses, the servant of God is? Are there any of those outlines left? Okay. Uh, Kevin, did you guys get one? Oh, uh, there should be on the back table, I guess. Just grab one so you can follow along what we're doing here. Um, you know what the song of Moses is? He is a rock, he is a word. I'm not kidding you. Deuteronomy 32.4 is a part of the song of Moses. And you see it's sort of referenced here. Look at um, uh, verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways. Uh, Just and right is he. I'm telling you, that's the song. Go back and read it. You'll see that's the song that God gave to Moses to teach to the people. This is the song of Deuteronomy 32. Anyway, I, I don't know if the tune is the same. But is it going to be cool to get up there and they start singing, Hey, we used to sing that in church. But anyway, and uh, hey, did you sing that in your church? No, you're too busy singing rock songs. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just playing. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For <laughs> I just got that, if they're there. Uh, that, was, that took a minute. But um, <laughs> thou only art holy. That was terrible. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. The saints sing a song of praise for God's holiness. Here's what you have to understand, and it's reflected in many of the Old Testament prophets. The whole reason I got these glasses, so I have to keep taking them off, because there's nothing here except glass, but um, is a prophet of God. Jonah is a good example. I believe it was, uh, where's the, the just shall live by his faith? Is that Habakkuk? Habakkuk? I think so. Habakkuk is another. Who, and even though Jonah's attitude was wrong, it was still along these lines. They wanted God to be vindicated, especially Habakkuk. Habakkuk got frustrated because the holy God was not being vindicated. Now, here we are on earth thinking about the judgment of God as human beings and saying, oh, man. But when we're in this host and beholding the holiness of God and we are offended that anybody would be an enemy of the holiness of God, and we want God's holiness vindicated. See, it doesn't mean, it's not personal. We're not rooting for any particular human being to be hurt or destroyed. But we look at the earth and the world system. 
as we are in the presence of the holy God. And we say, how could anybody curse the name of this holy God? How could anybody rebel? Forgetting, of course, that that's how we started out till we were redeemed by the grace of God. But we're going to be so overwhelmed with the holiness of God that we're going to want everything that contradicts it to be judged. And so that's what's going on here is a song of praise for God. And so verses 2 through 4, the saints sing a song of praise for God's holiness. And then I want you to read the whole account here. We're going to start at verse 5 and go to chapter 16, verse 1, which is not very much. As we see that the seven angels are presented, the seven vials, and this is an extremely solemn time in heaven. Why? Because the holy God must now take some extreme action. And it's sobering. Man who is created in the image of God is about to endure some horrific judgment. And let's read what happens here. Verse 5. And after that I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. Can you imagine seven vials? How big are they? I don't know. Are they big, massive things? Are they little, you know, uh, things like we would picture as being in a laboratory? I don't know. But they are full of the wrath of God. Seven of them. I don't know. I'm picturing maybe a tray with seven vials. And they're brought forth. Seven vials full of the wrath of God. God have mercy. One of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. By the way, where have they been stored? I'm wondering, and now I'm picturing massive vials, if this is the case, because my mind is always trying to imagine a scenario I'm wondering if every time we forced God to wrath and his justice demanded, pour out your wrath, if God didn't say, I will, but I'm going to store it up for now. And then we'll pour it out at the proper time. Think of the wrath that Almighty God must have had as the Holocaust took place on this earth. 
And, I mean, I've heard Jewish people say and quoted as saying, how could God not pour out his wrath? Well, Hitler was defeated. Nazism was defeated. But as it's going on, and you've seen pictures of what they looked like in concentration camps. You've seen pictures of the dead bodies piled. You've heard stories about the horrific smell. And I wonder if that had to be one of those times because God did not pour out his wrath. And I wonder if he didn't take his wrath at that moment instead of pouring it out on the earth, say, okay, we're going to pour that into a vial. I wonder if these seven vials don't represent seven specific atrocities throughout the history of mankind. And I wonder if these seven vials don't represent the answer to mankind's question. How could God let someone do that and not respond? Oh, he did respond, but he stored it away until the redeemed are removed. And then he pours it out. I realize I'm speaking hypothetically, but I'm not sure that it's too far off from what these seven vials filled with the wrath of God. Hey, I'm not trying to be funny, but he didn't stay up just the night before here and store up this wrath. This wrath has been building up. This wrath has been accumulating. So every time you think, boy, boy, that's a place where God should have stepped in. I think he probably did, just not in the present tense. He said, wow, that's my wrath. We're going to store that one away. We're going to put my wrath in another. We're going to fill up another half of a vial of wrath. And when the time is right, we're going to pour it out. And the temple, verse 8, was filled with smoke from the glory of God. And from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. This is a momentous, this is a a huge moment in the history of the human race, in the history of the planet Earth. Chapter 16, verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials, the wrath of God upon the earth. The seven angels are presented the seven vials, and this is an extremely solemn time in heaven. So here's the seven vials, and this completes the the 16th chapter. It completes the four sets of seven judgments. Verse 2, the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which had worshipped his image. So the first vial, a great sore, comes upon all who have the mark of the beast. Now understand, this is, this is, this is more than a great sore. This is, this is significant. This is a plague. Everybody who has the mark, 
that mark will now be accompanied by a great sore. Verse 3, the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. I was just watching before church tonight part of the DVD that Dr. Williams made available, How Big is God? And to realize how much of our planet is covered with the sea. And this verse says, when the second vial is poured out, it's turned to the blood of a dead man. Wow. That's the second vial. So the first vial, a great sore. The second vial, a, the entire sea turns to blood. Verses 4 through 7. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. This is, this is in connection to what I said a minute ago. Even as they are pouring out these, these horrific, horrible judgments, the angels are singing praise to God. Hey, they earned this. You're holy. They earned this. And I don't think it's so much that God needs to be encouraged as the angels are doing what they're supposed to do, which is lining up with God. God didn't make this necessary. Man's sin made this necessary. Once again, this is another example of what I said at the start. You look at this and you read, what a horrible thing. Yeah, and you're falling right into old smutty face's trap. He started it. God responded with redemption. Those who reject redemption, God has no choice but to judge them. And what do we do? We say, what an awful God you are. No, what a horrible punk Satan is to make this necessary and how wicked we are for signing up and being deceived by Satan. The angel said, the angel of the waters say, verse 5, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. All the water of the earth becomes blood. This, Folks, can we even comprehend how horrible this is? All the water becomes blood. Can you hear the screams? Can you, can you just, can you even comprehend? We can't comprehend, but can you at least picture the desperation? And in this horrific scene, the angels sing. and It's not a happy song. Like, oh, goody, this is great. It's uh, God, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. They have shed the blood of saints and prophets. By the way, why does God stand by and let ISIS do what they're doing to Christians? The wrath. The vial of the wrath of God is poured out. We're not talking about innocent boys and girls here. 
were, this, is, this is the ISIS-type suffering. This is those who are so dug in against God that there's no other remedy but that for them to face the horrific judgment of God. And so the angels sing to God, saying, Thou art holy, you are just, you are righteous. They made this necessary. They've shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. So verse number 4 through 7. Oh, we didn't read verse 7. I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Verses 4 through 7, the third vial, all fresh water turns to blood. Verses 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. Power was given unto him, the sun, to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. These folks are dug into their rebellion. And that's what you earn when you're dug into rebellion. Once again, watching the How Big Is God DVD and seeing just... I mean, the, the earth is nothing in comparison to the sun size-wise. said if we're 10% closer to the sun, we would be burned to death. If we were 10% further, we'd freeze to death. God's got us in a cradle of protection and perfection where we are. But that's not going to last. And what's going to scorch us is going to be our own rebellion. Fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. Power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. They repented not to give him glory. So verses 8 and 9, the fourth vial, men are scorched with the heat of the sun. Verses 10 and 11, the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Verses 10 and 11, the fifth vial, the seat of the beast is destroyed. Now, I believe, and and it, it seems like that's indicating a geographical location on this earth from which the beast has operated. Is it... New York City, now the Antichrist is not the beast. Some believe that the seat of Satan is actually inside the United Nations. That's just a theory. There's no way to to validate that. But that's a theory, that that's the seat of Satan. The seat of the the false prophet, and we're going to get to this in, in a chapter or two, the false prophet is considered to be, the Pope. Well, I've never heard that before. I don't know any Bible scholar that disagrees with that. Now, I'm not saying none exists, but the people I read, and I read a lot, are in agreement that the position, the office, not necessarily the guy that occupies it now, but the position of Pope, it will be the false prophet. A very strong opinion on that. But, but, that would not be the seat of the beast. What is the seat of the beast? i not even take a, a shot at that. But it would seem to be a 
geographical location. I, I, that's, that's about all we can say on that, or at least that's the, the extent of my knowledge there. Verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Okay, sixth vial, verse 12. The Euphrates River is dried up to prepare for Armageddon. That's what's going on there. This is so that the, the battle of Armageddon, so that the kings of the earth will, will suddenly see a passageway as they strategize their battle plan to attack the nation of Israel. They'll say, hey, now that Euphrates is dried up, we can go right through there. And they're playing right into God's, God's hand, as, as man always does. Then verses 13 through 21, the whole earth shakes at the wrath of God. Pay attention to this. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place which is called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And this seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. There came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. There were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there were, was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. This is the end of the tribulation period and the transition to the battle of Armageddon. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague and the hail. And I can hear them say... How could a loving God do this? The same old song. Don't let people sing that song in your presence. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. That's the end of the tribulation period, verses chapters 15 and 16. Chapters 17 and 18. I don't pretend to be the expert on any of this, but I don't pretend to be an expert on this either. I'll just tell you what I believe to be true. There are two Babylons. The Babylon means, uh, I don't know if it's the exact meaning. It, okay, the root of Babylon is the Tower of Babel. Okay, so what went on at the Tower of Babel? Instead of spreading out and populating the earth as God has told them to do, they congregated and they said, our power our, our unity will make us great and give us power. They tried to build a tower. They, they tried to build a great city. And God came down and said, this is not my plan. My plan is not congregating. God is not an urban God. God is a spread out God. And so he, came, he didn't judge them as in he didn't punish them. But he confounded their languages so that it would be impossible for them to cooperate anymore, and they were forced to spread out. But there is the seed of the concept of Babylon. Babylon is a concept. Now, of course, it was a kingdom, one of the, one of the uh, 
kingdoms of the world led by Nebuchadnezzar. And there is a historical Babylon, and that's where we find Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. But in the end time, there is a concept of Babylon once again. And it has two main parts. A religious Babylon and a political Babylon. So there is a one world religious movement and there is a one world political movement. Now, I know we're always, and I am too, we're always looking to identify it and say, okay, where is it? Who is it? What is it? Where is it today? And all you can have really is is theories. I will say this, though, and you'll see this, I think, as we read chapter 17. Chapter 17 is the destruction of religious Babylon. And it calls it the great whore. And as I said a moment ago, I'm sure there's some preachers somewhere, but I personally am not aware of a preacher who does not believe that the great whore is the Roman Catholic Church. And let's see if you agree. Verses 1 through 6 is the description of the great whore in your, in your outline. The description of the great whore, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 17. There came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration, not as in I liked her, but as as just, just marvel, amazement. The angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and the ten horns. So verses 1 through uh, 6, I actually uh, passed over, went, went past it, but the description of the great whore. Verses 7 through 18, the destruction of the great whore. The angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I read that already. Verse 8, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they beheld the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. There's a huge clue, I think, right there. Rome is the city of seven hills. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. 
And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the, of the seven and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and give her kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now tell me, please, what city is there besides Rome that has reigned over kings for the last 2,000 years? And so there you see what I believe is, I mean, I'm, there's a lot in there that is definitely mysterious and that I couldn't answer for you. But it seems pretty unmistakable that religious Babylon is the Roman Catholic Church. That's, and so there's the destruction of religious Babylon. Revelation 18 is the destruction of political Babylon. Now, I'm just going to throw out one potential opinion, and then we're going to read Revelation 18, and we're going to be done. I'll help you fill in the blanks here. But um, I just make this observation. I don't claim that political Babylon is, is the United States of America. But I look at the description of this place and I say, what other nation on earth fits this description? Now, is it maybe it's a conglomeration of nations, but I I don't I I I'm not clear on any of it. Let me put it this way. I don't think that political Babylon is the United States. I fear that that might be the case. I'm saying, oh God, please don't let that be the case. But I do ask you the question, if this does not, it's a, it's a nation that has made the rest of the world rich. It is a nation that has corrupted the rest of the world with, with her music and her dances. I mean, I just don't see what other nation that, that in, if, if Christ were to come Anytime soon, I mean, within the next century, what nation could possibly fit this? Description? I don't. So I'm saying, do I think it? No, I'm not. I'm not the scholar that that is going to raise an opinion, but it sure does worry me. I mean, to make me sick to my stomach that this could be our nation. I don't know, but somewhere on this planet there is a political Babylon, and as you'll see in a moment, that will be wiped out. In one hour. And it's not necessarily during the tribulation. It could happen before the tribulation. Let's read it. Verses 1 through 14. The destruction of Babylon is declared. And I got to tell you. Just the thought that it could possibly be America. It makes me emotional. So I'm going to struggle to get through this. I'm sure if God gives me grace. Maybe I won't. After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, 
having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, filled to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen. And I, I got to tell you, I read that and I see the Statue of Liberty. And I pray to God it's not us. And am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour thy judgment is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth her merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and of fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all fine wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour. I mean, this is an exporting nation. A wealthy exporting nation. It's, it just it scares the snot out of me. Wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slave and souls of men. And the fruit that thy soul lusteth after are departed from thee. And all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee. And thou shalt find them no more at all. Verses 1 through 14, the destruction of Babylon is declared. In verses 15 through 19, the destruction of Babylon is mourned. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches has come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors, as many as trade by sea, stood afar off. And cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour is she made desolate. And then in verses 20 through 24, Babylon is no more. Rejoice over her, thou heaven. And ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. 
And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all. And you see, this is, a, this is a place known for its music. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. The sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. The light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee. The voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Now, I'll say once again, and I, you know, everybody that, that, um, teaches and preaches prophecy, says America is not found in Bible prophecy. And to me, that raises so many questions. How can such a major player on the earth at this time not be referred to at all in the Bible? And I would wonder what their interpretation of Revelation 18 would be. And so I'm not giving you any kind of an authority. I'm not even giving you an opinion that, yep, Yep, I think that's I think that's United States of America. I'm just simply saying I had this nagging fear that that's us. I'll say this and we're we're all done. We'll hit the second coming of Christ next. It'll all be good next week. We'll hit the second coming and we're on the winning team. It's all victory and it's it's next week is is awesome. But I'll say this You know good and well that what we just read, if it's not us, it certainly describes who we are. And if Babylon is going to be destroyed in one hour, should not we beg God for mercy for our nation? And we've preached it many times. Dr. Williams just preached it. There are three great sins that have always been judged. And we've committed all of them. The slaying of the innocent. The distorting, the perverting of marriage. And the sin of the, the great sin of, of homosexuality, which you can, you can have social debates all you want to. This is about how God sees things. And thirdly, the mistreatment of the nation of Israel. And our nation and our president, we have no regard whatsoever. In fact, I, I, I hear people say, well, you know, we know that, that uh, our president has our nation's best interests at heart. I don't, I don't believe that. I'm sorry, I don't believe that. And I certainly don't believe that he has Israel's best interests at heart. I do not believe that he does. I do not believe he's a sincere man. And God's going to judge us for the way we have treated Israel. We could talk about that for a while. But I say to you, if Revelation 18 is not us, and I pray that it's not, my patriotism reads that and says, no, no. But if it's not us, you got to admit it sure does describe us. 
And we at least have to read that and fall before God and say, Oh, God, please give us one more chance to repent and have revival so at least those who would trust the Savior will be spared thy judgment. And I pray tonight that that's our prayer as we, as we leave. One of the most sobering passages of Scripture, the seven vials of the wrath of God, the destruction of religious and political Babylon, the holiness of God pouring out his wrath upon our planet for the way we have shaken our fist in his face for 6,000 years. Very sobering. So let's just take a moment to go before God and just say, God, please show us the way in this dark place, in this dark hour, and make us spirit-filled lights to bring people to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. As, as a piano uh, plays, the altar is open. Would you just take a minute with God? See, see what a big stage we're on, folks. When the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth?